the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And a good morning to you. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 16th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. And we certainly appreciate you being with us today. We're going to do a little bit of, um, we're going to do a little bit of bad, then a little bit of good, and then a little bit of bad and a little bit of good today. Uh, Peter Kirstenau is coming up at 1010, by the way. That's good the whole time. Uh, before that, we're going to do a little bit, a little bit of bad and a little bit of good. It's good to see Democrats angry. It's good to see MSNBC freaking out over something Donald Trump does. It's good to see CNN lying about Donald Trump and what he did. It's good to see the left trying to find a way to calm and soothe their own feelings because the man that they despise most in the world had a thunderous victory in Iowa last night. That, those are good things. I think it might be bad for the Republican Party. That's where I'm going to go good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. I I want Democrats to suffer because they try to make the United States as a whole suffer. They try to, quite frankly, they try to erase the United States. They're trying to literally wipe us out. That's not a that's not a hyperbolic statement. That's not an overstatement. That's reality. They're trying to wipe us out. They're trying to erase us. They're trying to reset us. They're trying to bring in millions and millions of people from around the globe into the United States, making us a borderless, globalist land. They're allowing Chinese billionaires and the CCP to buy up more American farmland than America owns. They're trying to literally destroy the United States. So if they are angry because of an outcome of an election that, that means Donald Trump won and is almost almost 100% certain to be the nominee, that makes them angry. That makes me freaking thrilled. But I feel like we could have done better. That's the bottom line. When Rachel Maddow is screaming about authoritarianism, when she goes on in their analysis of the Iowa caucuses last night, saying that Donald Trump's victory is a victory for the authoritarian movement, for the fascist movement, even as she sits there and praises the Biden regime, which has given more uh, life to authoritarianism than maybe anybody, dare I say, in my lifetime. i got to go back to Obama. There was a little bit there. But the idea that a Donald Trump caucus victory is a victory for authoritarianism when you have a true authoritarian in the White House right now, one who gets decision after decision after decision from the Supreme Court that he just ignores and goes on and waves a scepter as if he is king and does anyway, that's authoritarianism. But when you hear Rachel Maddow crying, it's a good day. Again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not 
if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government. Hey, Rachel, tell me you don't know anything about our system of government without saying, I don't know anything about our system of government. You apparently don't know the definitions of authoritarian, fascism, or democracy. We are not a democracy. Your current leader is practicing authoritarianism, and fascism is more closely aligned to communism than you understand. The leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm-hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a mm-hmm. much bigger part mm-hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before, and I know because I've been studying this. But once you have radicalized one major party so that those are the preferences of the people who... It's the Republican Party that has been radicalized. (laughs) She said that out loud. Once you have radicalized one of the two major parties, and she thinks it's the Republican Party that's been radicalized. The Democrat Party believes that we should not have a border, that people should be able to come and go as they please, no matter how dangerous they might be, terrorists, cartel members, doesn't matter. Democrats believe men can get pregnant. Democrats believe that women can have a penis. Democrats believe that children know they're the wrong sex as early as their toddler years or maybe even in utero. Yeah, the the beings that they say aren't sentient beings, the the, the beings that they say aren't alive, uh, and that's why they support abortion. They do believe, some of them say, that babies in utero uh, know whether or not they're trans or not. But it's the, it's the Republican Party that's been radicalized. Who adhere to your party, the leaders interchangeable. And yes, Trumpism is sometimes what we call it. Mm-hmm. MAGA movement is probably a better way to do it. But there is an authoritarian mm-hmm. movement inside yes. Republican politics <laughs> that isn't being bamboozled by Trump. Mm-hmm. When you hear this kind of thing, it makes me think we're going to be all right. When you hear a left-wing, borderline special uh, governor like J.B. Pritzker in Illinois going on TV the night of the Iowa caucus. By the way, did you know what what was missing from last night's Iowa caucuses? Democrats. Democrats didn't even have Iowa caucuses. Want to know why? Because they are so deeply committed to democracy, as they like to say, that they wouldn't even allow Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a registered Democrat who said I'm running for president as a Democrat, to be in the race. They wouldn't allow him his name to appear. They wouldn't allow him to have a debate with the incumbent Joe Biden. The party that swears they're all about democracy and giving people a choice to cast the vote for the candidate that they want wouldn't even allow a challenger to Skeletor himself. They wouldn't do it. That's why there was no Democratic uh, 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 Iowa caucuses last night. They make kings and then declare that the other side trying to actually have uh, a primary exercising the practice of democracy, that that's the authoritarian side. It's, it's, it's mind, you can't write it. It's mind boggling. You can't write it, so you certainly cannot understand it. But, uh, Democrat Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. Well, I think Joy had it right. Almost half of the base of the Republican Party showing up for this caucus 
tonight voted against Donald Trump. Think about that. I mean, this is the most famous Republican. He's the guy who, you know, basically built the modern Republican Party, the MAGA Republican Party that Democrats are running against. And half the people in that party didn't vote for Donald Trump. So I think that is telling. It tells you the weakness of Donald Trump. <laughs> when you hear these people, it's just glorious. This is the schadenfreude. This is part of the good this morning and the good, bad, good, bad. He thinks that the leader of the Republican primaries winning by a record 30 points when the previous record was 12 points. The previous record in terms of the margin between first place and second place was Bob Dole, who won Iowa by 12, right? Last night, Trump won by 30. And he says that's an indicator of the weakness of Donald Trump. You listen to these people, honestly, and, and I don't know. I, 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 I have to laugh because it is funny. But it also just kind of makes me stop and scratch my head and say, what parallel universe are they in? A man won by 30. That does not exhibit his weakness. I think it may exhibit some other things about the Republican Party, like I said, because I think we could do better. But this is this is not weakness. This is the ultimate show of strength. A 30-point victory. It's not authoritarian, and it's not weakness. It is truly democracy in action, and the people of Iowa said what they wanted to say. After the uh, caucuses last night, after his victory, Trump gave a speech. He wanted to say some things. CNN didn't want to listen. Coming into our country, I can't imagine why they think that's a good thing. Donald Trump declaring victory with a historically strong showing in the Iowa caucuses, if these numbers hold, the biggest victory for a non-incumbent president in the modern era for this contest. A relatively subdued speech as these things go so far, although here he is right now under, under my voice. You hear him repeating his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Uh, he did take time to praise his rivals, Haley. Did you catch that? Jake Tapper and CNN cut him off when he started talking about illegal immigration, saying that he's talking about using his anti-immigrant rhetoric. Do these people have any shame whatsoever? Do these people have any ounce of even an ounce of journalistic integrity left no conservative who is concerned about national security and national sovereignty because the border has been surrendered by a globalist puppet named joe biden is anti-immigrant most of us came from immigrants you don't have to be anti-immigrant to be pro-american border pro-national security Pro-homeland security. How about anti-illegality? How about we are opposed to illegality in all of its forms, including those who come across our border without permission and then try to come here and soak up and absorb all of our resources in the form of subsidized food, clothing, medicine, education, housing, How about we're anti all of that? That doesn't make us anti-immigrant.
It doesn't make Donald Trump anti-immigrant. It doesn't make anybody anti-immigrant. It makes us reasonable and, and protective of our national sovereignty. That's what it does. So the left last night, demonizing Trump, going after the Republicans, demonizing not just Trump. And I hope you heard and paid attention to what they were just saying there, what Pritzker was saying and what Maddow said at the beginning. They're going after Trump's voters. They're going after Republican voters, period. Saying that if they embrace this authoritarianism, then it's not Trump that we're concerned about. It's all of them. Joy Reid went on MSNBC and declared that there are way too many white Christians in Iowa. Too many. She, she, she wants to thin the herd of Christians. Wait, what? These people have lost their minds. They declare Republicans to be radicals and leftists to be normal. It's remarkable. So watching them melt down is good. Now let's go to some bad. What I heard last night from this expected Donald Trump massive victory, and I did expect it, which is why I didn't spend any time previewing it yesterday. I told you I would react to it today rather than preview it on yesterday's show because I think we all knew that the polls, even though they can be unreliable and have been unreliable, look at 2022. The polls said we were going to have a red tidal wave. Instead, we had a red trickle coming out of a spigot. Right? Didn't win the Senate, barely with a super small majority won the House. Sometimes the polls are wrong. But these were so dominated by Trump, it was almost impossible to think that these could be wrong. And so we were right. The polls were right. Trump won by 30 points. So we have to ask ourselves, what did GOP voters in Iowa say? They spoke yesterday. What did we say? And this is where I just... I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that we blew a golden opportunity that I pray we don't pay an eternal price for this November. Because what we said yesterday is we love a show. <clears throat> we love a show. We love a showman. We love to be entertained. We love to yell and do chants. We love slogans. And we love a martyr to rally behind. Remember what Donald Trump said after his uh, third indictment of the four? He said, one more indictment and we should have this uh, primary locked up. Because he's right. Every single time they came after him with another bogus lawfare indictment, he got stronger. The numbers grew even bigger. So he was right. We love him, and we do. And by the way, I'm one of them. I love a martyr. I love the idea that they're trying to crucify Donald Trump with a bunch of BS indictments in four different American jurisdictions to try to stop him from being president. I love the fact that Colorado took him off of the ballot. That's going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. I love that that Maine did the same thing and that 12 other states are trying to do it because they're so terrified of him. Because when he wins, I am going to laugh until I stroke out at their pain. I am going to laugh that they're, all of their BS efforts failed miserably and that Trump is president and we, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine it. I will absolutely rally behind this martyr 
because they are trying to take a man who ought to be able to run for president again and to stop him from doing it, to deny him his constitutional right and to deny all of us our our democratic rights. And when I say democratic, of course, that's where democracy does come into play. We are not a democracy. We are a republic, but we use democracy to elect candidates, to elect our leaders. And we should have the right to choose anybody we wish, including him. So, yes, I will absolutely rally behind this martyr. I will absolutely rally behind the slogan, American First. I will absolutely rally behind the chants of MAGA. And I'm like everybody else. I love to be entertained, too. But but I don't love the idea of a rematch between two 80-year-old men. I certainly don't love that. More than I love the idea of the most impressive resume and record of achievement to come down the line as a Republican candidate in probably more than four decades in the form of a prime-time 45-year-old military veteran whose state is the fastest-growing state in the country, and with good reason. Someone who takes down the left like it's it's a, a bodily function destroys all of what they are doing to destroy the country. I'm concerned that we love hearing nicknames and name-calling more than we love somebody whose entire career as an executive has been spent keeping his head down and crafting one constitutional conservative policy after another to grow his state's economy, to crush violent crime, to win the culture war, to protect children, to protect schools as education centers instead of indoctrination centers, to go after the leftists at places like Disney, to return power to the family. I look at somebody like that and I think that has got to be our standard bearer. That has got to be our leader. But that's not what we said yesterday as GOP voters, or at least our colleagues in Iowa. They said no. They like the show rather than the guy who puts his head down and does his work, maybe a little bit stiff on stage, isn't uh, you know? Didn't host a TV show. We love the show. That's what we said. And I just hope we know what we're saying, and I hope we know what we're doing, and I hope we don't pay a price for that come November. I'm very, very concerned about that aspect of it. I'm very concerned. Now, having said that, having said all of that. A little bit of the good, the left is freaking out, a little bit of the bad that I feel like we could do better. Is it time to accept inevitability? Kind of already accepted it really before Iowa. Like I said, the polls can't be that far off. But now that it's been proven in Iowa, now it's on to New Hampshire and South Carolina. Is it time to accept inevitability? Is it time to put aside all of the nitpicking and just rally against the radical left that is trying to destroy this country? Or... Is there still time for discussion, debate, amongst good, solid, conservative, credentialed people? That's one of the questions I'm going to be asking Peter Kersen now. It's one of the questions I'm asking you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Is it time to accept the inevitability of Trump v. Biden, or is there still time for anything? Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 
Okay, it's 934. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Seth politely reminded me that we did not pledge to start our show, which, of course, is uh, that's a sin. That's a capital offense uh, in this program. So I want to apologize. We did not do our pledge. Let's do that now before we discuss anything else regarding Iowa last night or any of the other concerning stories that we have for you. Uh, if you are a patriot, and I know that you are, if you listen to the show, you have no choice. Because non-patriots hate the show and will turn it off in two seconds. So if you're listening, I know you're a patriot. Uh, patriots, go ahead and stand, put your hand on your heart, and join us for this Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in stealing democracy and the opportunity to vote from the people, well, then you don't believe in the country and you don't believe the flag that represents that country. So instead of virtue signaling, don't pretend. Just take a knee over there like the good little Marxist that you are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all okay um, I was chatting with my son a little bit this morning via text he's disappointed he's really really upset with what happened last night for a different reason than I was a little bit less than enthusiastic. He's upset that Vivek Ramaswamy is dropping out. I'll tell you what, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, being youthful, uh, has a real connection to a lot of these younger voters. He does. The younger millennials, like him, the Gen Zers, they look at Vivek Ramaswamy as one of theirs. They listen to him. He is smooth. He's very smooth. He's very, very polished. He's very, very smart. He's pretty much a genius. And he's a billionaire, self-made. And it's a pretty pretty phenomenal story. My son liked him and wanted to vote for him in the uh, primary. I told him it doesn't really matter if you liked him or if you liked DeSantis or Haley or anything else because this is the one problem with our system. If you do have one candidate dominating all of the early primary and caucus states, by the time it gets to Ohio, we don't get much of a say anyway. It's already been decided. Certainly by the time it gets to Super Tuesday, uh, you know, in in cases like this where there's only three candidates left, and if one is dominating by 30 points or more, the rest of them pretty much don't matter. But he was disappointed because of this, my son was, because of this announcement. I will stick to the truth tonight. The first hard truth, and this one's... Hard for me. I gotta admit this. But we've looked at it every which way, and I think it is true that we did not achieve the surprise that we wanted to deliver tonight. And I think that that's just a hard fact that we're gonna to have to accept as a campaign. And the question then is what do we do that is right for our country? And so, Porv and I, we, we actually didn't make this contingency plan before everybody told us to. We said, no, we're not doing that. But we talked about it tonight. We took a little bit of time in our apartment in Des Moines before coming here to make some hard choices. And I wanted to make a couple of announcements tonight to get the business out of the way. And then I want to tell you where we're going. As of this moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be, there is no path for me to be the next president absent things that we don't want to see happen in this country. 
So Vivek has dropped and endorsed Donald Trump for president. His answer to the question of inevitability was, yes, it is inevitable. Nobody else can beat him. Nobody else can stop him. So let's just go ahead and get out of the way and put all energies behind Donald Trump. So the question to you is, is he right? Is that the right thing to do, not just for him, but for others? Is that something that the other candidates should do? Should they fight through Iowa? Should they fight through to South Carolina? Should they try to stay in it until Super Tuesday, hoping that something changes? I don't know the answer. I'm being 100% upfront and honest with you and transparent, I don't know the answer, and here's why. <clears throat> Part of me says the Democrats have unified behind Skeletor, the rotting corpse of Joe Biden uh, being propped up before podiums, uh, pumped up with enough uh, B12 to try to make him energetic and coherent for about the first 15 minutes or so of any kind of a talk or a press conference, if he even holds those, before the batteries start to die down, and then they have to usher him and shuffle him off of the stage one way or the other. He's usually lost by the time he gets to that point. But anyway, they have unified and coalesced behind their incumbent, wouldn't even let Robert F. Kennedy on the stage, wouldn't even let him in the race, wouldn't even let him be appearing on ballots. He's an anti-vaxxer. Well, it doesn't matter if he didn't even have his vax platform. They weren't going to let anybody challenge the incumbent, which, of course, is a direct attack on democracy. They're constantly complaining that Republicans are a threat to democracy. They have robbed their own potential primary voters of democracy. And guess what? I talk to Democrats off the air, people I know, who say they want somebody else to vote for, but what are they going to do? They're sure as hell not going to vote for Trump. They wouldn't vote for DeSantis or Ramaswamy or Haley or anybody else if it happened to be. It's not just They're just Democrats, and they're going to vote for the Democrats. And they don't like their Democrat. Did you see the numbers yesterday for Joe Biden? Joe Biden now has the lowest approval rating of any president, Republican or Democrat, in the last 15 years. This is an ABC News poll in the last 15 years. So that means you go through Biden, you go through Trump, you go through Obama, and you go back to Bush. Wait a minute, Obama Obama won in 2008, so this is 2024. So yeah, pretty close to it, so maybe the last year of Bush. But this is, this is literally 15 years. It, his approval rating is at 31%. That's an astounding number. 69% disapprove of the job Joe Biden has done. I, I talk to Democrats who don't want Joe Biden. They want somebody else at the top of the ticket. They're terrified that Trump can beat him. Whether he can or not, I don't know, because I'm a little bit worried about the the moderates, not the Democrats, not the Republicans, but the moderates who may not vote for a convicted felon. And as we've talked about, you know it's going to be a bogus conviction. I know it's going to be a bogus conviction, which however many that he absorbs. We all know that they're bogus, that this is lawfare, that this is an attempt to literally remove a candidate that they hate so much but that they are so afraid, is so popular that he can win again, they have to get rid of him. We all know what's going on in all of those locations, in all of those jurisdictions. It's BS. But guess what? They're going to do it. He's going to get convicted. It's going to be wrong. It's going to be political. It's going to be crap. It's going to be trash. And I know and you know it, but a lot of moderate voters won't care. They're going to see convictions on felonies and say, I'm not voting for a felon. 
That's a legitimate concern. That's one of my biggest concerns, quite frankly, when it comes to the moderates. But Democrats don't care about that. They just see Trump winning by massive numbers, and they're terrified that in a rematch, they won't be able to pull it off again. They won't be able to cheat their way through ballot harvesting, drop boxes, mules, uh, uh, early voting, same-day voting. No, I mean, all of the stuff that they relied upon, uh, mail-in voting, the last time they, they, they were convinced they're not going to be able to do it again, so they wanted another choice, and the Democrats won't even give them a choice. It's just Biden, just the corpse of Joe Biden, and that's all. Weekended Bernie's uh, 2024. So the Democrats are terrified. Moderates are, or rather uh, conservatives like me, are worried about moderates not supporting our guy if he's our guy. And the inevitability of Donald Trump as our guy is very, very close if it's not already here. Vivek thinks it's here, as we just pointed out. But there are very, very, uh, a lot of us are very, very concerned that the, the felony factor is going to come into play. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's 91. That's the number of counts that he's facing in the four separate indictments. And like I said, I believe all 91 are bull. They're bogus. It's fraud. It's an attack on true democracy, an attempt to wipe out a candidate, to, to strip the people of the right to vote for whom they wish. But because they're so good at it, with left-wing prosecutors and left-wing judges, in left-wing juries, uh, in uh, jurisdictions, I should say, where the jury pool is going to be uh, completely left-wing, he's going to be convicted of some of them. And I don't care if he goes, uh, you know, I don't care if he, if he goes 87 and 5. Let's say for the sake of discussion, it's a monumental number of victories. Let's say he gets acquitted of these charges. In in eighty seven uh, of or I'm sorry eighty six I guess it would be uh, of the ninety one charges he goes eighty six and five. Let's say he's acquitted in eighty eighty six of them, but he's convicted in five of them. Well, you know what the media is going to do? The media isn't going to say that. The media is going to trumpet to all of the low IQ and low information voters. They're going to trumpet that Donald Trump is the first convicted felon ever to be on a presidential ballot. Convicted felon, convicted felon, convicted felon. They will wear it out. And moderate voters will be impacted and affected, and they will say, I can't vote for a felon. I'm concerned about that. Democrats are concerned that not enough people will do that. They're concerned that their guy is just so weak and unpopular. Their guy is so old and so decrepit and so cognitively challenged that he can't possibly win. So this is what we're staring at. At what point do you think inevitability has to be accepted and the unification around Trump needs to match the unification around Skeletor on the Democrat side and away we go for the next 11 months? Do you wait until Super Tuesday? Do you wait till after Ohio votes in March? I mean, you tell me. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. I'm interested in your thoughts. We're going to take uh, Rick in Cleveland here. Rick, you're on AM 1420. The answer up first. Go right ahead, sir. Oh, uh, yeah. Good morning, Bob. Thanks so much. Tuned in a little bit late. I caught, uh, caught the last part of the, your words about uh, you know, what everything looked like last night on the, on the, on the stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to agree, uh, express my agreement with you in terms of how it was viewed and how it seems to have been uh, uh, perceived. 
And I think it's exactly that. And as I was uh, telling uh, the call screener, I think we uh, the, the danger, if you will, is that we may be making the same mistake the Democrats made way back many years ago when uh, they, they, they got Obama into office. They voted for a personality. They, they looked at a person. They did not look past that person. And the, the, the double-edged sword in that is that the person himself was someone who thought, yeah, I am the answer. I'm the guy. I'm the cheese. I'm going to get. I'm going to make it all happen. I honestly believe Obama thought he was absolutely the answer. And my problem with that is that there's no good president has ever had that in their mind. You know, they realize that they can't do this alone. Well, Trump has kind of that same. I think it's a character issue. Is that I think he thinks he is the answer. That's why I like DeSantis. DeSantis realizes that he can't get this done alone, but he knows how to put together a team. He knows how to rely on people. He knows how to delegate. He, he understands that. And uh, it's not about him, and it's not about his ego. And so, uh, you know, if we if we decide to go with the, you know, with the personality rather than the substance, you know, that may be, that may be a, a huge part of the problem. Yeah, um, I, I think there is some truth to that, but I think at the end of the day, um, what the people of Iowa just showed and what the national polls just showed is people don't care. Uh, conservatives don't care. They're behind this guy because of two things. Number one, name recognition and the fact that he was already an, a president and the fact that many of us feel, and I still feel, that he was robbed and, and stolen, had, the, has, had his reelection stolen. But at the end of the day, that makes him the incumbent. And it's very, very, very hard to one-seat an incumbent uh, president even if you do have a lot of special qualities like any of the others, whether it be DeSantis or anybody else uh, as a primary challenger. Yeah. So, so, sure. so, yeah, I mean, you know, Trump has flaws. So does DeSantis. So do all of them. Um, there's no question yeah. about it. Um, but my concern, like I said, is not necessarily about his flaws as much as it is his electability in the general if and when they are successful in taking, uh, taking his name and dragging it through the mud of convicted felons. That's what I'm really worried about. Um, they, they've known this for a long time. This was going to be their strategy. They're timing it up so that they can have these, um, uh, have these uh, uh, trials uh, right in the heat of the election season or maybe right after, in some of the cases, the, the convention when he's officially the nominee. Then they convict him, and now, now the Republicans are stuck. Now they're gonna, we've got to run with our, with, our convicted, uh, with our convicted felon. And that, I think, is a great concern for, or it should be a great concern for conservatives who want uh, to stop Joe Biden and the Democrats from having another four. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I don't think we're disagreeing at all. I think the overriding thing that concerns me, too, is that back in 2016, we literally cried out to God for an answer. The last guy on the planet any of us thought was going to be the answer to that prayer was Donald Trump. And I think the reason he got elected, to be quite honest with you, is that that prayer was answered. I think the flaw going forward uh, four years later was that, in a lot of ways, the problem was we became so enamored of the man, of that, of that answer to that prayer, that we forgot where our real faith had to be rooted in. And, and uh, so, so my thing is, you know, if ever, ever, ever uh, history has proven out that that it's time to get to our roots of our faith and start to really trust it for all that it's worth. It's now. I mean, the proof is just there. 
and I'll, take, I'll leave it at that, if I may. I think you do. I think that's a great place to leave it. You make very good points. It's a very astute phone call. Rick, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much, and I hope you call back. Uh, that's a good conversation. Uh, let's go to uh, Canton next. Ralph on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Ralph, go ahead. I have a question. Uh, what uh, uh, You know that uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we have the equivalent of Secretariat in 72, 73. And what would the Democrat Party do if they had right now the equivalent of Donald J. Trump? Well, I think they're doing it. They don't even have Trump, and they've already done it. They've, In fact, they've got a guy, instead of having a Secretariat-style lead, They've got a guy who has the worst approval ratings of any president in the last uh, decade and a half and among the worst in all of American history for incumbent and pr- incumbent president, and they did it anyway. They, they, they circled around him and said he's still our guy. They're not even giving anybody a chance to do anything. So that's what they would do if they had a huge lead, the same thing they're doing even though they have a huge deficit. Well, the thing is that they, we've got Rona Romney. <laughs> and if we, if we had, yeah, we do. Uh, you know that's that's the key. You have to put your little uh, uh, your people in a row and and give them orders, and uh, everything split. Uh, you 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 broke up there for a second. I didn't hear the last thing you said, Ralph. I said you have to put your lemmings in order and uh, organize and keep people together. And that money altogether, instead of splitting all that money and having two dunces that are going to be gone by the next, by New Hampshire, and you've wasted time and money. Or, or at the very least, by uh, uh, by the end of New Hampshire uh, is probably more likely because I think they're all three going to go to New Hampshire, and then you know if we have the same thing happen, then maybe something changes after that. Uh, but no, you're you're right. Um, the Democrats do they they the only thing I would say in response though is you know the money isn't pooled when somebody drops out. Chris Christie's money, however much he raised, and Vivek's money isn't going to Trump. You know what I mean? It's it's not as if this is going to be spent on the Trump campaign now against Biden. So the money isn't going to pool. But the energy and the messaging and the support and so on and so forth in the attempt to generate more uh, you know, voters and to try to win more people who aren't already under the red tent uh, in and join them, that, that certainly is something they can do, and that's something the Democrats are doing, again, despite the fact that they have an absolutely abysmal incumbent candidate. You know, I, I think the other point is is that uh, when you look at the at the polls, you know, you can believe them or not. Uh, I take them with a grain of salt myself. But the polls say that uh, 70, 80 percent of uh, Republicans, the uh, 2020 was fixed and 60 percent of Democrats 2020 was fixed. And that's the thing is that people keep on saying he lost in 2020 and, uh, you know, he's done. I think people are rubbed up and know, the majority of people know that he got ripped off, and they want him in there because he's been there, done that. I think you're right on. I think I think everything you just said is true, and one other thing I would add on to that. And, and Ralph, thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. I hope you become a, a second-time caller, too. Good stuff. Thank you. Uh, I think you're exactly right, and I also think um, that people like to, people who are not diehard partisans, I mean, People who hate Trump, never Trumpers, of course, they don't give a crap that he had his election stolen from him, even if they believe he did. And there are Democrats who believe he did, but who are happy about that, right? This is what I meant when I said people love to rally behind a martyr. Donald Trump 
had his election, re-election stolen from him. It was evident. It was blatant. It was obvious. It was grotesque. Um, and that is going to take some people and say, that's not fair. He should get another term simply out of fundamental fairness. Now, we add that to the lawfare, to the lawsuits in four different jurisdictions, the bogus, ridiculous suits pushed for and filed by a Department of Justice special investigator named Jack Smith, who is absolutely a a psychopath. Trump is right about that. You take a guy who's being targeted by the legal system unfairly, add that to the fact that the electoral system was unfair to him, and you have a whole lot of people, millions, who are saying, yeah, we, we, that guy deserves his, his job back. That guy deserves another chance at this. This guy, uh, you know, did good things, not perfect, clearly, but did a lot of good things when he was there the first time. So those three things, he has a record and a name of, of former president that kind of makes him the incumbent. Because, again, even though they stole it from him, and four years have passed since he was president. He's still the last Republican to be president, and he's eligible, so therefore he's the incumbent. You take incumbency and a good track record from the first time around for at least the first three years. Incumbency and a good track record added to the martyrdom of what is being done to him, uh, uh, or what was done to him, I should say, in 2020 with the stolen election, and add that now to the, uh, to the martyrdom of the lawfare against him, and it is almost inevitable. His numbers go up every time they do something else crooked to him. Which is why, by the way, we are going to laugh with a deep schadenfreude-filled joy uh, if and when he beats them again. I will tell you this, even as somebody who likes Ron DeSantis, if you like anybody... Anybody else that was in the Republican field, maybe you, you know, maybe you're going back to the to the first time around in 2016. I don't care who you liked better than Donald Trump. When you see the left just absolutely beside themselves with rage, their jaws are trembling, their teeth are clenched, they're they're just they're just ready to to stroke out and lose it right then and there. You have to be happy about it. It means we're doing something right. If a leftist is triggered by Donald Trump's election, then that should make all of us happy, even if you'd like somebody else to start. That's how I was with Ted Cruz in 2016. I like Ron DeSantis today. But I will be thrilled if Donald Trump triggers all of them by waltzing back into the White House. Waltzing back in with a big... You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us <clears throat> on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer, it is a Tuesday. It's the eight, uh, excuse me, the 16th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord, 2024. Uh, President Trump hammered the competition in Iowa last night as the polls suggested that he would. Vivek Ramaswamy has dropped and said he's endorsing Trump. The question is, is when is the right time? for Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley to do the same thing? Or is there a right time, or should they continue to fight for second place in the unlikely event that Donald Trump is somehow barred from running? Remember, the left will do anything they can to stop him. 
in a general election, they will do anything they can to stop him. Does there need to be somebody in the bullpen warmed up and ready to go in the event that he is not able to answer the bell? Uh, those are the questions we're going to ask of you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. And it's among the questions we're going to ask of our next guest. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's a Kersenow day. Peter Kersenow bringing his friends and family with him. They cheer him every step of the way, kind of similar to a Windsor crowd. Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist. He is a law professor. He's a lawyer. He is also the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? You know, uh, it'd be nice if it was just a little bit warmer. You know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, pretty chilly out there, but it's Cleveland. I'm used to it. Uh, it makes us hardy, I think. It's supposed to, at least. Uh, except for the Browns, I don't know what the heck that was. <laughs> you know? well, first first of all, Kersenow, I've got double digits on the on the on the thermometer here. It's eleven outside. What are you looking for? For crying out loud, you are getting soft. You're getting hurt while you well, lift. You're 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 afraid of a little bit of cold air. I mean, come on, <laughs> Pete. What's going on with you? Well, I'm getting older, and I've got this persistent pain in my back, as you know, that uh, is preventing me from doing my ordinary uh, workouts, which sometimes consist of running in weather like this. I like running in weather like this because I like cheating death, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, hey, we're Clevelanders. Uh, this is good. Yeah, And, and yeah, um, why don't we go ahead and get it out of the way? Because I know you, will, you, you like to opine on these things, particularly when they make you miserable. But uh, C.J. Stroud did a number on, uh, on the Browns, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. And, you know, the Browns have got to, they've got to figure it out because <laughs> I think for people my age, you know, I, I remember uh, the last Browns championship in 1964. I distinctly remember listening to it back then, even if it was blacked out. Um, they didn't televise it. I mean, even if it was sold out, they didn't televise it on, on uh, the, the uh, local stations. So uh, it's been a long time, and the closest we came was during the Bernie years, you know. Denver put a kibosh on that. Uh, you know, this is, the Browns are long-suffering. It's about time we ended this. You know, we've got personnel. There's no doubt about that. You know, we've got personnel. Unfortunately, the best running back in football was injured, but we had other backups that did a pretty decent job. Flacco did a pretty decent job at, for a while there, and then when it, you know, really counted, it just didn't happen. So... There's always next year. I was just going to say, you just spent about two minutes saying, wait till next year. The same thing that everybody <laughs> says every single year. Peter, take my advice, my friend. Uh, just call it a day. Stop paying attention to it. I didn't pay att- stop paying attention to it because of the disappointment of wait till next year. I stopped because of uh, other reasons, as you know, the wokeness in the league and so forth. But I don't suffer any of the heartache and any of the pain and any of the questions about whether or not the play calling should change or the coach should be fired or the quarterback is the right guy or anything else. I'll make fun of the massage king because he deserves to be made fun of, but that's about the extent of it. I'm much more, I feel liberated not having to uh, to invest my time and my effort every Sunday afternoon into something that ultimately was going to frustrate the hell out of me like it is you every day anyway. Yeah, well, my analysis is similar to yours, except that I generally tune in right in the beginning just to get an assessment. And once they fall behind, I mean, I don't give them any, any chances. Once they <laughs> fall behind, I'm off to doing other things. So if somebody scores first and it isn't the Browns, you're done. And then if you if they That's score fif- if they score fifty unanswered, you didn't see it. Exactly right. <laughs> well, that's another way to handle it. How many right. times have they done that? <laughs> yeah, well, okay, fair enough. That, that that might have been wishful thinking, I suppose. All right, Peter, um, let's dive into last night. Um, It was not a surprise. Um, I I suppose if you want to be surprised, you can be, 
because we have seen polls be completely wrong before, as recently as 2022. All indications were that there was going to be a red tidal wave coming to swallow up Joe Biden and the Democrats. We were going to have a massive 40-seat majority in the House and take back the Senate by three or four seats. This is going to be a huge red wave, and we saw what happened. The polls were all wrong. So there was a chance that last night could have not been a Trump landslide, but the polls were pretty doggone consistent that it would be. And this time, they were right. He wins by 30 points over DeSantis, uh, 32 or whatever it is, over over Nikki Haley. Vivek Ramaswamy only got single digits at 8%, so he dropped out. So, Pete, what does last night tell you about the state of this uh, primary season? And then, secondly... Um, should they even bother going on past New Hampshire or South Carolina? Should everybody just do what Ramaswamy did and say it's time to coalesce around the guy, whether you, he was your first choice or not? And he's not mine. He's my second, second choice. But, uh, but whether he's your first choice or not, he is inevitable. And uh, at what point is it time to coalesce around him, Peter? Now. The time is now. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Bob, you and I have discussed this before. I was initially a DeSantis supporter because mm-hmm. I thought he has the best chance of prevailing in a general election. I love Trump's policies. I love his fight. I love his drive and everything else. But I thought that there was a lot of baggage there that the, the Democrats had successfully hung around him despite our protestations and mm-hmm. the complete mendacity of the mainstream media and the Democrats. But I repeat myself. So I wanted to win, and I thought DeSantis provided the best uh, opportunity to do so. Um, however, you know, if push came to shove, I mean, I think Trump is the, the one guy in the race. He's the one guy he's, with all the warts. He's the guy that, you know, nobody wants to be president because of his, the way he behaves or something, at least allegedly that nobody wants to. But he's the one guy, he's like Shane, he's the one guy who can get the job done. And everybody knows that, and that's why Democrats throw everything they can against this guy. He is scary to them because he doesn't play these games. Nikki Haley, um, very nice person, apparently. I don't know her personally, but she, it's going to be business as usual. It's uh, George W. Bush, great man, ni- I mean, nice man, everything. You know, I, I worked in his administration. I think he's a, he's a gentleman. I think he's, you know... He's a moderate conservative, but this is a throwback, meaning Nikki Haley, to the old Republican Party that is getting its butt beat constantly and has ceded the zeitgeist to Democrats, ceded the progression of progressivism to the Democrats. We can't do this anymore. Victor Davis Hanson, I don't know if you saw it, many of your listeners I know saw it because they emailed me. Um, Victor Davis Hanson had a magnum opus last week. Uh, where this great historian despairs that game over. Um, all the things that are going on, all the stupid things that we're doing, uh, presages the collapse of the American experiment, that civilization is on the brink. And I don't think that's histrionic. And if you know Victor Davis Hanson, he's not histrionic. This guy's measured mm-hmm. and sober. Mm-hmm. So the one guy who might be able to forestall that is Donald Trump. I don't, I think. DeSantis has the ability to, you know, kind of hold back the tide for a period of time. He's the guy that I think because he is not as, well, he's not Trump, has a real chance to win. I think almost anybody can beat Biden, put it that way. Trump may be the one guy who may not be able to beat Biden. I think he can. I think almost anybody can. But do you roll the dice given the state of of the United States right now, because we're in a precarious position, as Victor Davis Hanson just uh, explained. 
Um, I'm willing to roll the dice because I think the upside is so great. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll see what happens there. I, I, I think that, frankly, Nikki Haley doesn't have a chance. Uh, the reason why I don't think she has a chance is because for the people who support Trump, or, and that is for rock-solid conservatives, I'm not going to speak for all conservatives, don't get me wrong, but for a large majority of conservatives, they sense from Nikki Haley, what's that uh, you know, thing, the, the, the dog sensing the master's voice? Yeah. They sense from Nikki Haley she's the the tone is not there. It suggests that she's more like the old style Republicans who'd capitulate to Democrats, and that she's not. I mean, you know, she professes to be a social conservative and a fiscal conservative. I've been around long enough to sense when I can't completely trust that the person is going to do the right thing in a pinch. And I'm not, don't get me wrong with respect to Nikki Haley. I don't think she's going to necessarily sell people out. That's not my point. My point is that she makes noises that sound more like the moderate, quote-unquote, moderate Republicans in the House and Senate. And we've had that for the last, frankly, my entire lifetime, and look at where it's gotten us. Trump, they know, if he says, I'm going to put up a wall, he's going to do everything he can to do it, you know, he may be thwarted by uh, squishes in the House and Senate, but he's going to do everything he can. Whereas Nikki Haley, if she's pressed, I'm not sure she's got the backbone to do it. Ron DeSantis, I think he's got the backbone, but I, I still think that uh, Trump is stronger. That, that's the dilemma we're in, Bob. We have a guy who will get the job done, warts and all, who frustrates everybody, including those that support him. Uh, but he has probably the least chance of getting elected in the general. I think he will, but he's got the least chance. And we do take that chance. I think uh, DeSantis and Haley may have a, I think DeSantis has a better chance. I'm not sure, sure about Haley. I'm not so sure. I think a lot of conservatives might just stay home unless things get really dire instead of voting for Haley. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but uh, that's my two cents. No, it, 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 no, it calls for a long-winded answer. It calls for a lot of uh, astute uh, observation and analysis, and I think you gave a lot of it there. Um, <clears throat> I disagree with a few of the things you said, but I want to focus on what we agree on with respect to uh, uh, Donald Trump being a potential problem in the general. Um, what do you make of the potential for convictions affecting moderate voters? I've talked to enough people and I have watched enough interviews and man on the street type things uh, with people who say they will not vote for a convicted felon. And even though it's law, see, here's the thing, Peter, you're knowledgeable. I study this. I'm not as knowledgeable as you are, but I study this and I pay attention to this 24 seven. So I know it's lawfare. I know it's crap. I know it's bogus, these charges, and I know Donald Trump is being politically persecuted in the form of criminally being pr- criminally prosecuted, and it's garbage. <clears throat> but I'm also a realist, and I know that they're good at it, and I know that doing it in jurisdictions where there's going to be a left-wing judge and a left-wing prosecutor uh, drawing from a left-wing jury pool, uh, he's going to be convicted on some of them. I said this earlier on. What if he goes 86 and 5 out of the 91 charges? What if he wins 86, he's acquitted, but five of them they convict him of? The media will will trumpet that he is the first convicted felon ever to have his name on a presidential ballot, and that's all they'll say. If he goes, if he goes ninety and one, oh, he was convicted of a felony. This is a felon. You're going to vote for a felon. And the reality is, a lot of moderates have already answered, "No, I won't vote for a felon." If he goes to court and is convicted, that's it for me. I worry about that. Do you? 
I do, probably not as much as you do for this reason. Number one is the media is exhausted. They have called this guy a Russian asset. They've called him everything already. They've made accusations, all of which completely and utterly false. Remember Russia collusion. Utterly. Every single syllable of it was made up. And if you look at the current polling data with respect to trust in the media, it's at an all-time low. They do not trust the media on almost anything, but especially when it comes to issues of Trump. So, yes, I do think it'll have a little bit of effect. I, you know, I was listening to some uh, voters in Iowa yesterday when they were doing an after-action report, mm-hmm. and some of them you know, expressed concern about you know, if he's convicted. And I do think there'll be a little fall-off. I think that will be more than made up for by those people who say enough. They're sick of this. If they can do it to Trump, they can do it to me. They recognize what's going on. Now, you know, there have been, there's been considerable anecdotal evidence showing that people out there get what's going on, and they're energized by it. They're more likely to walk over hot coals to vote for Trump than they were before, or vote, period, you know, in the, for the, in the first instance, because they see what's happening and they don't like it. So um, there is always the risk when voting for Trump that the media and the Democrats, by repeat myself, will throw everything they can at him and it will be enough to let a cadaver like Biden win if Biden is, in fact, the Democratic um, a nominee, nominee, and I still think there's a uh, a real question about that. Uh, I know the conventional wisdom is coalescing around he's running and that's it, and nothing's going to happen. Michelle Obama's not going to parachute in, blah 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 blah. But nonetheless, um, I think that Trump has the ability to beat Biden. I'm, in fact, look at the polls right now. He's destroying Biden. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Biden's got 31 percent approval rating. And keep in mind also, for every Principled conservative, and I'm, you know, look, I, I think there are a lot of folks out there who, in good faith, would not vote for Trump because he has a conviction. For every one of them, I would say there's one and a half to two people who are energized, and that includes some marginal Democrats, particularly among minorities. Hispanics right now are trending more heavily toward the Republican Party than they ever have in the last 25 years, and more importantly and concerningly for Democrats. And I did a, a Newsmax uh, a piece on this just a, a last week. Um, I think it was last week I was on Newsmax. But in any event, I looked at the data. And when you look at the data with respect to the black vote, and I don't want to get off into a tangent here, but this is important. Typically, and I've said this on your show before, typically Democrats get 88 to 92% of the black vote. And that's been the case for the last 60 years or so. Once they drop below 88%, game over. They can't win because they typically, over the last uh, 10 election cycles, 10 presidential election cycles, have only gotten 30, no more than 39% of the white vote. So they must have a huge percentage and a robust turnout among blacks. And right now, Donald Trump, depending upon which poll you're looking at, but the most reliable polls have him at at least 22% of the black vote. Not every one of them is going to vote for him, but that also suggests that a significant percentage of blacks simply won't vote or won't vote for um, Biden. So that's a huge problem right now. If I were to bet right now, um, right now, all things being equal, I'd say Trump wins. I think he wins by a fairly large margin. I think it's 
a safer bet to say DeSantis wins. Maybe not by as large a margin, and maybe people won't be whooping and hollering energetic when they cast a ballot for DeSantis, as opposed for Trump, whose voters are extraordinarily passionate, but I think he has the better chance. You look at what Nikki Haley did, for example, in Johnson County, and this is why I personally, I Again, um, when I hear Nikki Haley speaks, I don't hear a rock-ribbed conservative. I understand all the hagiography from the media about her. She's a conservative and everything else like that. But uh, my spidey son says, nope, not really. I'm with She's you. not going to be a... Di- huh? I'm with you. I agree. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I do not get a sense of, of strong conservatism from her at all. Some, uh, some say she's really uh, you know, in this race as a plant to actually work with the Democrats. Well, you know, I don't know if she is or isn't, but um, frankly, I don't think we need her. I really don't. She's better than Biden, but, you know, that's not my dogs are better than Biden. So um, I, and I'm not equating Nikki Haley with dogs or anything else like that. I'm simply saying that <clears throat> I don't think that she is a rock rib conservative. DeSantis, without question, is unquestionably. I think DeSantis is for this period in the American uh, moment. I think DeSantis is about as good a Republican presidential candidate as you can get. His problem is he doesn't set anybody on fire. Maybe that's a good thing, I mean, in terms of governance, but in terms of electability, no one... Well, to me, that's the problem, Pete. That's the biggest problem I have, and I opened my show with it today. I, I think he is the best candidate to come down the line for president for the Republican Party in 40 years. And I mean that since Reagan. I mean, from a standpoint of resume to accomplishment and uh, and achievement as an executive, accomplishment and achievement as a candidate, uh, military veteran, 45 years old, prime of his life, afraid of nothing, keeps his head down at his desk and creates one, crafts one conservative constitutional policy after another, uh, fights for families, fights against corporations like Disney, fights against CRT and DEI in schools uh, and in corporations. I mean, every box checked. But he's not a showman. He doesn't stand on stage and command a crowd the way Donald Trump does. And it saddens me that the showmanship trumps the the uh, the qualification checklist that I just ran down. And that that really saddens me. Yeah. Well, when we come back, here's the music going. I'll, I'll challenge. I agree with you entirely, except for two things. One is that I think Trump, if you saw his his speech last night after the results were pretty much in, it was a different kind of Trump, if you noticed. It was very savvy, in fact, and it was one that I think would endear a lot of people on the margins who typically would have voted for, say, a Haley or a DeSantis or someone else like that, to be more considerate, uh, uh, give greater consideration to voting for a Trump. And Speaks. the other thing is... Well, hold, save, that, save that thought, as you said, for after the okay. break. Uh, save, save that thought, and we'll also talk about when it's over, as you pointed out, uh, how Trump's book when it was over. All right, 1035, we get another 25 or so with Peter Kirsten out. <clears throat> That's to our benefit, of course. Peter, um, last night uh, a lot of complaints were made by the DeSantis camp about the uh, literally uh, the race being called with less than 1% of the vote uh, counted uh, and in. And uh, they complained for the same reasons that I and we all complained with Fox News calling Arizona after 10% or something like that of the vote was in. Uh, in 2020, uh, saying that that disenfranchised people because they have smartphones, they can actually stand in line and watch and see that they're calling the race. What's the point of staying here? Uh, I've, we've already lost. Why should I stand here and freeze for another X amount of t- uh, you know amount of time or in Arizona stand there and sweat? 
Uh, but you get the deal. Uh, any concerns at all about uh, the way that is being handled by media calling races before voters even have a shot, thus po- uh, potentially interfering with their uh, uh, with their votes? Yeah, that's uh, only exhibit 48 out of the multiple problems with the contemporary media today. <laughs> and the, seriously, I mean, they do such damage to the republic in so many regards beyond politics. Um, you know, and they're so biased. Even a you know, even a Fox News. Uh, you know, you can't necessarily be sure that you're getting, you know, just the straight dope. Uh, and I do think if I were DeSantis, I'd be going crazy also. But the fact of the matter is DeSantis didn't have a chance of winning. Bob, you and I, for the last five years, were DeSantis supporters, I think. I was a DeSantis supporter last time around. Um, I'm Same. still a DeSantis I still think he's probably, he'd be the best president. But I, I And I think he has the best chance of winning. But, you know, I... I I, there's a little bit of romance that goes with politics, and, and, and it's kind of like, you're, you're too young to remember this, but it was the um, Super Bowl three, one of the most iconic Super Bowls of all time, because the NFL dominated the AFL. There was just, the NFL was, the AFL was like, you know, just simply as a scrub league in, in comparison to the NFL. And the greatest quarterback to that point, arguably, the uh, John Unitas was helming the Colts, and they were a prohibitive favorite to win over the upstart New York Jets with Joe Namath. And yet Joe Namath came out, knees and all, and played one of the most spectacular games imaginable and beat implausibly the dynamite, the formidable Baltimore Colts. And Trump is Joe Namath. That's the thing. The romance is there. You want somebody like that, but do you take the risk? Personally, I think there's too much on the line to take the risk, but I'd be ecstatic if um, he was the nominee and won, because I think he will do whatever it takes to bring the United States back to what it used to be. I think DeSantis will, too, but he's going to be plotting. Uh, he's going to throw the three, five, three to five-yard uh, out pattern, whereas Trump, yeah, he may miss a few passes, but he throws that 80-yard fly pattern for a touchdown and scores big time and wins the game. Very, very, maybe uh, some sophomoric analogy, Bob, but I think that's what a lot of people, you talk to these people more than I do, Bob, but when we're out there and we're talking to your listeners and others, this is the kind of approach. Now, I still think it's smarter to go with the DeSantis who checks the boxes, make, make sure, makes sure they does everything necessary. He's going to get all kinds of blowback, maybe not as virulent as against Trump, but Bob, you and I know the media. Once DeSantis is named or a Nikki Haley is named or any other Republican is named as the nominee for the Republicans, they will instantly become the Antichrist. It's just that Trump makes it a little bit easier for them. They don't have to try as hard with Trump. Well, all we got to do is look back to George Bush. I had never seen a candidate or a president savaged in the way that George Bush was treated ever in my lifetime or even maybe historically as I look back, uh, the, what they did to that man. And I, that was the worst thing I thought I would ever see until Trump. And what they did to Trump made what they did to George Bush look like they were, you know, having a tea party. Uh, I mean, you, you're exactly right. They will do, they will do to DeSantis or anybody else. What they did to George Bush probably won't rise to the level of Trump because he he drives them crazy in ways that uh, we can't really explain. Uh, Pete, I want you to listen to this. This will be the last thing on the presidential primary or the caucuses last night. And then we're going to talk about the strike, the potential strike today. But this is why I'm rooting for Trump. This is why I'm rooting for Trump, even though, like you said, you and I have both been for DeSantis first. I will absolutely rally behind Trump because 
DeSantis won't make these people this nuts. Trump will make these people this nuts. And this- <laughs> again, the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not... If we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government. I'll just stop right there. That, of course, is Rachel Maddow, concerned about authoritarianism and fascism, two words that I honestly don't think she understands, because Joe Biden has been an absolute authoritarian since he has been there. But this is what they fear, and this is what they think of. They see Trump. They see Hitler, they see Trump, they see Mussolini, they see Trump, and they just see the face of evil. And if that's what their reaction is going to be, then I want them to see that face for four years, starting in 2024. I agree. It's a psychic satisfaction, Bob. <laughs> I think Schadenfreude. It's, that's one, exactly. It's one of the reasons why Trump has such a following, because he knows he drives, we know they drives the other side so crazy. And it's one of the appeals. Yes, we want a better economy as we did under Trump. We want secure borders as we did under Trump. We want a lower crime rate as we did under Trump. We want no wars and no one even thinking about it as we did under Trump. We want all those things. Those are the things you expect or hope to get out of a president. But there's more. Again, it's the psychic satisfaction of America first. We believe in America. We like MAGA. You know, they they use that term derisively. No, we want to make America great again because we're Americans. We love that kind of thing. We're afraid that Trump might lose or maybe, you know, the fact of the matter is we've had four years of Trump and nothing collapsed. We had a phenomenal economy. There wasn't authoritarianism. It's not like he is a blank slate and we don't have any kind of evidence with respect to this. And we can argue about, I know there are conservatives out there concerned about January 6th, we can argue about that, but my goodness, we had a slow-moving insurrection for the six to eight months preceding that, and nobody said anything about it. We had a president who had to be spirited into the basement bunker by the Secret Service because of an attack on the White House. Nobody said anything about that. Millions of dollars in damages to the buildings surrounding the White House. Nobody said anything about that. That's not an insurrection. No, no, no. It's just people letting off a little bit of steam. So, look, we, we can't stand the hypocrisy. We like the fact that Trump is the guy who's going to jab them, uh, put a, a thumb into their eye. We like all that stuff. Plus, the added benefit is his policies benefited America like nobody in my lifetime. That includes Ronald Reagan. So he drives people nuts, including a sizable percentage of moderates and conservatives. But at the end of the day, he is our best bet to do what Victor Davis Hanson says we must do to forestall what looks to be a slow rolling, and it's picking up, collapse of the American experiment. It is. And I, think, is. I, I do think um, DeSantis is somebody who knows how to make the, the trains run and all that stuff. But there's not the same psychic satisfaction, although he provides a little bit of it, no doubt about it, because of his policies. And number two is he doesn't throw the Hail Mary like Joe Namath does. And John Trump would. And he'd throw many of them, and some of them would score. Peter Kersenow is our guest, of course, on this Tuesday. Let's pivot now from last night's caucuses and the primaries to come and talk about what's supposed to be happening today. There is a federal walkout planned by federal employees um, as a way of them uh, taking up for terrorists. I don't, I don't, I don't really... I don't care. That's what they're doing. They're planning on walking off the job to support Hamas terrorists and terrorism and deaths and and torture and mutilation. Anybody who paints it any other way is lying to you. But they're going to call it 
being against the Hamas genocide of uh, an ethnic cleansing of Gaza. That um, excuse me, the Israeli Defense Forces uh, um, uh, ethnic cleansing and the uh, and the in the genocide against Gaza. This is what they are doing. They want to cease fire immediately, and with uh, Biden not being quick to call for one or to tell Netanyahu to call them off, uh, this is what they are planning. Speaker Mike Johnson said this of that quote. Any government worker who walks off the job to protest U.S. support for our ally Israel is ignoring their responsibility and abusing the trust of taxpayers. They deserve to be fired, end quote. Peter, what do you say? Agree. Agree entirely. And maybe a public flogging would help, too, to deter further lunacy like that. But, um, look, they don't have... uh, we can go through all the laws and civil service and all that stuff. They have the ability to voice certain First Amendment uh, issues, but they don't have the right as federal employees, contrary to what a lot of other employees can do, to simply walk off the job like that. That's a fireable offense, you know. Um, so the reason they're doing it is because they know that Biden is weak. They know that Democrats generally won't do anything with respect to employees and respect anything that looks like it being a union movement. Not respect it, but will coddle it. So they're doing it. But it's mainly a complete and utter lack of disrespect. But Consider what's motivating this. They've never walked off the job for anything else. And anything else. But this, Jan- uh, I'm sorry, October 7th, they, this is what motivates them to walk off the job. That tells you how rotten the bureaucracy is, not just from the standpoint of getting a job done, but from the standpoint of ideology and morality. And um, that's precisely what I told Donald Trump when I met him. I said, these folks, you got to watch out. These are not your friends. The so-called deep state, you know, people laugh like a Rachel Maddow, laugh at it derisively. Maybe it sounds comical, but there is a deep administrative state that is out of control. It controls Washington, millions of federal employees. And you can see what the mentality is that they would actually engage in a work stoppage over this issue. Extrapolate and consider what their positions are on other issues. These folks are all on the left, and that's why Donald Trump had a very difficult time trying to corral and rein them in. And, he, you know, he did so kind of admirably, but he's now got his eyes completely opened. They should be, I agree, they should be fired. First of all, 90% of them are occupying chairs. Uh, that's, that, I'm sorry, that's an exaggeration. That's, there's a lot of fine folks in the federal government. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to paint that bigger brush. Maybe it's 89%, okay? But nonetheless. <laughs> Charitable. Yeah, a, a lot of folks could be jettisoned, and we would not miss a beat. We wouldn't even notice. But more importantly, I think it would be a salutary effort to make sure that we have a government that is functioning for the majority of people and not on ideological grounds. Because remember, despite the fact that half of the population supported Donald Trump in the election, these folks in some of the most crucial agencies decided to engage in a conspiracy to not just undermine him, but remove him, a a false conspiracy, something that was ginned up by Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and others in that January 5th meeting in the Oval Office, January 5th of 2021. Remember that. That's extraordinary. With the assistance of the FBI and the CIA, you talk about authoritarianism. You talk, I mean, they 
accuse Trump of things that they were actually doing. And we have a media that covers for them, not just covers for them, eggs them on and lies on their behalf. It's, we, I've never in my lifetime, which is very long now, have seen anything like this. You can't tell me things and tell me, you can't tell me that, you know, it's uh, cold out there and it's actually 80 degrees. I've been around for a long time. I've seen things. I've actually worked in the federal government, and so have all of your listeners. They've been around long enough to understand when they were being told a tall tale. And it may not be some grand, huge, overarching conspiracy, but how, do you, how else do you couch it? When you had in that meeting all of the principles, major principles of the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, uh, um, Comey, the whole crew, Biden, everybody... Obama, they were all there talking about how do they undermine the incoming president. We've never had a situation like this before. And the media, eh, no, they're not even talk about it. I can right now talk to many, I, I won't mention anybody, but most lawyers, these are supposedly educated people who are well-informed, and they're completely ignorant of those facts. And they look at you like you're some kind of whack job. That's what we're up against. And I think Trump has the best chance of beating that back. In fact, he's eager for the fight. I do think DeSantis is probably a safer choice, and he's also eager for the fight. He's just not as colorful as Trump. We like a little bit of the color, too. <laughs> Which color? <laughs> the spray, the spray orange color, the spray orange yeah. color, or the colorful language? <laughs> it's a, hey, Peter, um, I apologize for the repetitiveness of this, but since you brought up. <clears throat> what they did on January 5th and and then what happened on January 6th. Did we talk about Matthew Graves last week? I don't believe we did. All right. Uh, You're familiar with him, the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia. Last week, um, I saw this story. I just didn't know if I saw it in time to bring it up to you or not. And if I didn't, uh, then let's do this now. Um, the, The District Attorney or U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves, suggested last week that the DOJ is not done targeting Americans. They are now looking into and going after Americans who did nothing but stand outside the Capitol that day. We're not even talking about the peaceful people who walked in and got their guided tour. We're talking about people who didn't even do so much as trespass. And I'll read you the quote here during the press conference last week. Graves said, quote, An important note when it comes to our prosecutions about those who remained outside the building We have used our prosecutorial discretion to primarily focus on those who entered the building or those who engaged in violent or corrupt conduct on Capitol grounds. But if a person knowingly entered the restricted area without authorization, they have already committed a federal crime. And make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in in the first place, end quote. So he is indicating that the DOJ is giving him the authority to go after them. Uh, they're going to look at videos, try to use facial recognition, and anybody who stood outside in what they thought was a legal and lawful protest did not go inside when they saw doors being smashed or windows being broken or what have you. They just stood outside. They're coming for them now as well. How is this not intentionally weaponizing the Department of Justice and targeting a people so that they never, ever, ever think about expressing their First Amendment rights again? Yeah, uh, you know, these are the folks who talk about authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Choose my, I want to choose my words very carefully here, uh, because I think this requires historical precision, because we're in a dangerous, dangerous time. Um, I have lots of family members who escaped totalitarian regimes, the Soviet Union, in fact. 
So I'm not saying this lightly. And I know a lot of folks that I talk to out uh, when I'm out in my travels who came from Eastern European countries, former uh, Soviet bloc countries, also may have come from, say, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And those folks will be the first to tell you that what we are seeing now looks like what they escaped from. That's not hyperbole. I don't care what the Rachel Maddows of the world say. They have no clue, and that's shameful that you'd call law-abiding Americans. The Americans that are most likely to serve, the Americans who are most likely to fly a flag on July 4th or any other day of the week, they call them something like authoritarianism or insurrectionists. They have no clue. The, the Rachel Maddow et al. of the world are the least likely to volunteer for service in the United States to put their lives on the, uh, on the line. And they call us. But what we see from them, just this, just the fact that they would say that is extraordinary. And if, it's up to, if it were up to me, I'd say that disqualifies that clown from holding any kind of office. He, he shouldn't be trusted with it because we have in his jurisdiction rampant crime going on all over the place. But we had, what do we have? Every leader of the Democratic Party didn't simply just turn a blind eye, for example, uh, during the riots of a couple of years ago. Billions of dollars in damage, lots of people killed. Kamala Harris famously said the riots will continue and should continue. Hillary Clinton said something similar. Every one of the Democratic leaders, Pelosi, Pelosi, when she was asked about it. I mean, this is incredible. But there's righteous rioting, you know, Pete. There's right, righteous rioting, right. and then there's, then there's, you know, corrupt rioting, and apparently they know the difference. This is the kind of thing, when we observe it, it, uh, again, go to outlaw Josie Wales. We should get plum mad dog mean, and also then to, corrob- to um, correlate that with Victor Davis Hanson. We are in a crisis right now that, Again, VDH believes we have never been in a position like this in the United States of America. And that goes back to the Civil War. We may lose the country entirely. In fact, the question is, you know, many of us don't recognize what we're living in right now. We don't recognize. It's still the greatest country in the world. Great. But it's not the land of the free and the home of the brave that we saw just, say, 20 years ago. There's been a remarkable change. And if you dare to notice, the media will paint you as if you're some kind of a kook. Whereas all of their policies are literally insane. But we're the kooks because we want to preserve the United States of America. We want to preserve the family. We, we worship a God. You know, these are the kind of things that are off limits now in the Democratic Party. They're actually off. You can't do that kind of stuff. So the fact of the matter is that it's a district attorney like that. It's, it's much of the superstructure of the Democratic regime that is authoritarian, that is doing the kind of thing that they point at. It's called projection. And again, if you want to know what they have planned for the United States of America, look at what they're calling us, because that's how they're going to implement their policies in an authoritarian manner. I think that's extraordinarily well said, as are most things coming from Peter Kersenow. Peter, thank you, my friend. Terrific analysis, as always. Appreciate that very much. Look forward to uh, seeing you soon. Uh, talking to you next week, I should say, and seeing you soon as you continue to convalesce. Uh, keep us posted on that, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Pete. That's Kirsten now. It's 1055. We'll take our time out here for the top of the hour. <clears throat> hour number three is going to be you and me. What did you make of the results last night? At what point should there be a coalescence, if you will, uh, around Donald Trump from all of the candidates. Vivek dropped last night. Should DeSantis, should Haley, or should they continue to fight for second in the event that somebody needs to be ready? 
in the bullpen in the event that Donald Trump is somehow not allowed on ballots or in other in some other way is uh, uh, is restricted. What do you want? This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, we roll into hour number three as the candidates roll onward from Iowa to New Hampshire. The question is, should they all do that? <clears throat> or should they all step aside the way Vivek Ramaswamy decided to do last night? In, of course, defense of his position, he finished in a distant uh, fourth place with uh, 8%. Trump was at 51, DeSantis at 21, uh, Haley at 19 uh, but the question is, is there any reason to continue this fight or should inevitability be accepted on behalf of those candidates and their supporters, voters, donors, volunteers, and so forth? Uh, welcome your thoughts. 216 A couple of other things, though, too, and we'll get right to your phone calls <clears throat> very shortly here, but a couple of other uh, uh, interesting notes about that um, planned walkout today the planned walkout peter and i were just talking about this on behalf of federal employees is in support of and in defense of the very same people that claudine gay the president of harvard and um uh lynn uh, mcgill the president of uh of uh, uh penn university of pennsylvania they lost their presidencies at those universities for saying the same thing that these people are supporting through their walkout, basically saying that from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free is A-OK. And if you support Israel, you you are the ones who are doing it wrong. The federal workers are going to walk out saying America should not be supporting Israel. They should be supporting those that want to wipe out Israel. It costs presidents of universities their jobs. Why shouldn't it cost the jobs of these people who are uh, who are going to do the walkout today? Speaker Mike Johnson said they absolutely cannot keep their jobs. If they walk off the job, they're taxpayer paid. Talking about federal employees, they are taxpayer paid. And if they walk off in support of a terrorist organization and in opposition to an American ally, which is Israel, that they should all be fired. I completely concur. I welcome your thoughts on that as well. I also wanted to throw this one up there, too, very briefly, because... um, We've we've nibbled around the edges of this story, but I have not played this clip, and I want to play it real quick. Um, when we talk about this ongoing, uh, I guess, expansion of DEI on behalf of those that love it, like the presidents, the aforementioned presidents of Harvard and MIT and Penn and so many others, 
but um, the pushback against it when it comes to public safety. This is a flashback audio clip that I want to play for you. It's only a minute long, so chill. If you're on hold, stay there. I'm coming right to you. But I just want to play this. Would you want to fly across the country at 35,000 feet knowing that the person in the pilot's chair got their job only because of what color they were or what their sex was? Because United Airlines, one of the largest airlines in the world, United Airlines CEO said, that's what we're doing. Best, most qualified, safest, as we put hundreds of lives in their hands as they're at the controls of this? Nope. We're prioritizing color and sex. That is is literally what was stated. I want you to listen to the uh, CEO of United. Come on now. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviator Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. We are committed to 50% of our pilots being women or people of color. I will never get on another plane in my life on an airline that doesn't tell me I am committed or we are committed to 100% of our pilots being the very best pilots we could find on the planet Earth. And we don't care if they're green or if they have horns coming out of their heads. It doesn't matter. We don't care what their, their sexual proclivities are. We don't care what their identification is or what pronouns they want to freaking use. The best pilots to keep people safe are going to be the ones that we hire. That's the only thing I ever want to hear again. DEI is killing this country. It's killing education. It's killing corporate America. It's going to kill people when it comes to things like this. No doctor is ever going to carve me open if they got there because they were because they were not as good as another doctor but because they fit the diversity quota because they fit the inclusion quota or the equity quota no one is ever going to touch me no one is ever going to put my i'm never going to put my life in somebody's hands whether they be a medical professional or a transportation expert or whatever the case might be if there's even a slight chance that they got there over somebody who was better because of what they looked like or because of what their sex was I'm interested in your thoughts about that, too. Like I said, we've kind of just talked that very tangentially over the course of the last few days uh, about DEI and what it's doing to very, very important positions, not just in education, but in real-life practical places um, where we have not really addressed it, especially with that audio clip. But you heard it. 50% will be people of color or women, and uh, that's what we are committed to. Qualifications be damned. Okay, let's go to it. We're going to go to uh, TJ in Cleveland first. TJ, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. How are you, TJ? Yeah, pretty good, Bob. You know, if I didn't like Nikki Haley before, which I didn't, I really didn't like her last night. I don't know if you listened to her speech after the caucus. Mm-hmm. Well, she's given this speech, and every sentence you hear this mob of women just screaming and yelling like <laughs> banshees. Uh, if you didn't know better, you thought it was Hillary Clinton up there giving a speech in front of her supporters. That's I not mean, good. That, if that's no, what she was, sounded like, yeah, did you hear it? Uh, no, I, uh, the only the only clip I heard is of her saying that I can safely say tonight that Iowa made this Republican primary a two person race, and she finished third. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but I mean, every person racing, you you finished third. What the hell are you talking about? And every sentence, just loud screech, just would come out of the crowd of her supporters. I I think that's who supports her is the Hillary people. Uh, I don't don't know if they're Hillary people or if they're just shrieking, you know, loud, loud, shrill voiced women. I don't know. And if if the majority of women want to vote for a woman, that's fine. If if that's what your if that's your top priority. But I'll just say the same thing I said about pilots and doctors and surgeons. I don't want somebody to be in, in that important of a position because they check a diversity box. And that includes president. I didn't I didn't oppose Hillary Clinton because she was a woman. And I wouldn't oppose Nikki Haley because she's a woman. I opposed Hillary Clinton because of who she was and because of what she stood for and what her history what her history was of uh, and what her policies were. Same thing with, with Nikki Haley. I don't care if women like her, and I don't care if she is reaching out to more women voters than not. I don't care. If you're qualified and the best person for the job, like I said, you can be man, you can be woman, you can be tall, short, fat, skinny, dark, light. I don't care. Just be right. And we've got some great women in the Republican Party, but Nikki Haley's not one of them, in my opinion. <clears throat> but one thing you brought up with Peter, a good point, like if Trump is convicted, how's that going to affect people? Now, I know it's going to affect the rhinos, but you know what? I think it's going to help them in the black community, because the black community is well aware of unlawful prosecutions. And I think that might endear him to many of the blacks, knowing just what a, a rip job some of these prosecutions can be, you know, against certain people. Well, but, the uh, um, the you know the one thing that Peter said too is true, and I because I talked about this, Pete. I want to say last week with Pete, uh, the statistics show that black voters are indeed leaving the Democrats, at least Biden, leaving Biden. Uh, in this particular race, because they feel completely abandoned by him. Blacks and Hispanics are all starting to kind of gravitate toward either the Republicans or a third party. Now, that that poll that I cited that I talked to Pete about last week, uh, it did say that they said they're leaving the Democrats. It doesn't mean they're all going to flock to Trump, but they are leaving the Democrats. And if they do that, even to go to a third party, that takes a huge, huge bite out of their base. Um, you know, their their base that they count on, like Pete said, 88 to 92 percent every single time. And if the, if that's the case, that bodes well for for Trump. And uh, and uh, and well, it's going to be Trump. I think it's very clear now, but that bodes well for him. And one quick thing before I get off here, a local story I heard yesterday, Huntington Bank has pulled out of the Buckeye neighborhood because it's too unsafe for their employees. The chickens are coming home to roost in these Democratic cities. And we knew this was going to happen when they attacked the police, defunded them, uh, opened the door uh, uh, for criminals. Now the businesses are leaving the neighborhoods and the people are going nuts. And well, that's, they that's got happening. what they asked for. This yeah, that, they that's happening. For they got it. That's happening in a lot of places, TJ. In fact, just earlier this morning on Twitter, I saw this story in Boston. Walgreens has closed their fourth location in Boston in a black area called Roxbury. It's a neighborhood that is plagued by theft. They can't keep the doors open because the, the, the store is being robbed constantly. The NAAC president there said, I'm sorry, former NAAC president there, and I watched this video, uh, is complaining and saying Walgreens needs to, quote, do what's right for these communities beyond just your bottom line. In other words, Walgreens has to continue to take massive losses from theft by people in the community in order to provide a drugstore to be available for the people in the community. Yeah. TJ, and, and, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, about the only 
sensible thing Obama ever said I can think of right now. Elections have consequences, That's and exactly we're seeing that in these cities. That's exactly have a good one, Bob. You too. Hey, TJ, before you go, didn't you want to say thank you first? For what? You don't want to thank uh, Seth for the football Oh, I did, I did thank him. Uh, oh, you yeah, did? His, yeah, well, for his tip on uh, uh, Buffalo beating Pittsburgh, he guaranteed it. He was right again, and I cashed in on that one. What I want to know is is why you needed a tip. The Steelers are awful. The Steelers no. are trash. They're dog crap. I mean, uh, anybody could have picked that. Did you? I mean, you didn't give them a percentage, did you? No, no, I, I, no. You didn't no, deserve no. one. Yeah, but but no, I mean, but you know, you still worry about it because they just seem to have the officials on their side. They seem to win lucky. Uh, so you know, I was worried about it, and I was very happy about Baker last night. I mean, all the Baker haters in this town. I think went to bed with heartburn last night. Uh, I mean, he, he just now, lit it up. Didn't I'll he? say this: Baker Mayfield. I hope and for as for as little as I look at the NFL anymore. I did see Baker had a huge game last night. People in Cleveland should root for him for two reasons: number one, because uh, they made a huge mistake by getting rid of him and uh, signing Deshaun Watson to a two hundred thirty million dollar contract, and two, he's going to play Detroit this week. If Detroit wins and gets another step closer to the Super Bowl. They, I think there's only like three teams left in the league who have never been to a Super Bowl. Um, Baker can help stop Detroit from beating the Browns to the Super Bowl. And that's true. I mean, it's so, a, and you know, that one thing, Yeah, the worst thing is the way they trashed Baker in this town. I agree. You know, I'm not talking all the people, but they trashed this guy. Uh, uh, so I'm glad to see him having success and really glad to see I that. I totally agree, and I hope Tampa Bay does. I don't want to say go all the way because I don't really, like I said, I haven't paid attention to who's left, but I hope they, I hope Baker, if Baker wins the Super Bowl, I would be very happy. And I, and I, I would, and, too. And, and, and I'll just leave it at that. TJ, okay. thank you. Appreciate the call. One. You got it, buddy. Let's go to Cleveland next. Ivan, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I, I like your opinion on something. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I hear terms like deep state, big government, all government is local, and all of that. The in, So I'm going to make it local. I'm going to bring it back to Ohio. Okay. The Supreme Court of Ohio said some years back that how they fund public schools through property tax is unconstitutional, yes. but nothing has changed. With redistricting, the Supreme Court of Ohio said, What's being done is unconstitutional and nothing has changed. We just had an election recently. Well, that last part, hold on, hold on, Ivan, if you would. uh, You're right about the first part. They did declare the way they fund schools with property taxes unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court did not decide that. The last Supreme Court... which was um, presided over by Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, said that the newly elected Supreme Court did not. And moreover, the way the districts were drawn was uh, approved by a bipartisan uh, committee, the, you know, the redistricting committee, in which the Democrats also agreed that it was constitutional. Both sides agreed it was constitutional. So that, that last part was a little bit off. But go ahead and make your third point. But before that, it, the, 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 the previous Supreme Court said, kicked it back and said, you need to redo this. But anyway. Right, which they did like four times or five times before. They they, they drew them like five times before it was agreed upon as being constitutional, like I said, and both parties signed off. So, but Now, the other thing, the other part is we just had an election Mm -hmm. where the voters voted to have marijuana legal and abortion in the Constitution.
had to get signatures, raise money, get out the vote, and all of that. And so the voters said, we want legal marijuana, and we want the abortion to be in the Constitution the way they stated it. Now, the state house then turns around and says, well, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't, we don't like it. We're going to... We're going to do it, but we're going to change the wording. We're going to redo uh, all of the graphics of that. Now, to me, like when I hear people nationally talk about complaint, Trump is going to be a dictator. Well, it seems like in Ohio, because the Republicans do run the state house, we had a speaker of the house who's been convicted of taking money for deals, and all of that. One thing I'll say about the voters of Ohio, because by right, they should just say, we'll give up because they're going to do what they want to do anyway. But they continue to get out and vote. My question to you is, uh, what is your opinion of things like, uh, like I just stated about the recent elections, where the voters said this, but the politicians said, okay, we're going to sort of do that. What, what, what do you say about that? Well, my, my, my opinion, and that's a great question, Ivan, and I thank you for asking it very articulately with, very, with clarity because sometimes people are very muddy. Uh, my response is also going to be clear. <clears throat> and keep listening, and thank you for the call. Um, because the language was muddy. This is where the role of the legislature is very, very important. If a constitutional amendment was passed that was worded very vaguely, the legislature has every right and, in fact, every responsibility to provide clarity so that when something like Issue 1, which passed, which is, you know, the, quote, Health Reproductive Rights of Individuals Act, what does health reproductive rights mean? Does that mean just when a woman is pregnant? Uh, Or does it mean reproductive sterilization? Does it mean infertility? Does it mean sex changes and all all of these other things? They left it muddy and vague in the way that it was worded in the amendment. And the fact that people passed it, uh, voted for it and passed it, doesn't mean that it can be implemented if there is if there are vagaries contained within it it is up to the legislature to say okay now that this is in the constitution what does that word mean what does that word mean what does that word mean and challenges can indeed be made to it once those answers are given once those definitions are given same thing with marijuana what did um what did the people say the people said yeah we want recreational weed to be legal but it is much much more more Difficult to describe what that means. What kind of weed? There are all kinds of different types of weed, different strength. Does it mean the, the strongest, highest THC level in, in the history of, of, of marijuana? And should that be made available in every dispensary or every store? Where can it be smoked? Where can it be used? The fact that it was made legal doesn't mean there aren't still legalities to be worked out. And that's where the legislature comes in. So the fact that these things passed... Um, that has to be recognized. Nobody is saying those ha- those are going to be taken away unless there's some sort of another constitutional amendment that has passed that repeals it. And that's a very, very difficult process to do. But um, the fact that it passed doesn't mean it gets to just live in, in whatever vagary and in, in whatever uh, sort of state of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, 
under, that's not the word state of understanding, but it's interpretation, I think maybe is what I'm trying to say. It can't live on in a state of interpretation where everybody can see it differently. Well, the Constitution says I can do X. No, it says you can do Y, but only if you meet Z. Does that make sense? That, that's the point. The legislature is not trying to repeal or roll back the constitutional amendment that was passed. And then, number two, it wasn't an amendment. It was a ballot initiative with the the weed thing. But they're not trying to roll them back or repeal them, but they are trying to provide clarity where ambiguity exists in order. Reason in the age of unreason. Always write radio with Bob Frantz and the answer. All right. Final segment, it's 11.35 on this Tuesday. Thanks for being with us. I'm just looking at a couple of news headlines and shaking my head. An art, uh, an art dealer testified Hunter Biden never sold one single piece of art, one single of his little finger paintings until Joe Biden became president. But nah, there's not access being sold to the White House, not at all. In rich Hunter Set aside Joe, the big guy's 10%, and everybody's happy. Unbelievable. Charlie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Right, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah, but thinking about rooting for Baker Mayfield, absolutely. And I think it's the same reason people root for Trump. It's about people want justice. And we felt it was unjust the way Baker was thrown out. And, and people feel the same thing. Trump, it was injustice. And we want justice, and that's a strong emotional motivator for people to vote. I agree. So, that's a good comparison. Yeah, I mean, a little different because, you know, Baker Baker's performance and his decision to play through his injury and maybe that hurt him and so on and so forth is, is a little different. But he did deserve better because he was really truly a good leader and a fighter for his teammates and so forth. And he did get treated unfairly, and obviously Trump through no fault of his own, had the election stolen from him, just quite frankly. You, you, but but I do see the comparison. You know, when you're treated unjustly, generally people want to see justice be done. They want the person who's been wronged to uh, to be given some sort of a, you know, uh, some sort of compensation or some some way to make w- right what was wrong. So I like that. All right, make, making it right. Hey, what, <laughs> last night Trump explained what would make a secure election. And, I, you know, he said, you know, paper ballots, one-day voting, those things. And those are very important. But, you know, they all of them say we want a secure border. And they never define how to do that. Building is not a secure border. What are they saying? Like less than 50,000 people come in a year illegally? What is – because it's going to become boat people. If they put a wall across, people are going to come in boats. They come in planes right now. So what is a secure – Securing our immigration system is it less than fifty thousand illegals a year, or what is the definition? Yeah, well, considering that you're getting three hundred thousand a month, less than fifty thousand in a year would be considered secure. To be honest with you, secure the border. It would, and thank you for the call, Charlie. It would certainly take a lot. Uh, securing the border is a part of an overall immigration shutdown, illegal immigration shutdown. Yes, they need to be more robust about getting people who come here legally uh, with uh, uh, with student visas and then overstay. They got to get rid of those people too. Real concern of the ones who are indeed coming across the border, not the not to the shores. They're not, you know, we we had this influx of people trying to get over from Cuba on rafts and everything else. We can protect our shorelines pretty well, um, <clears throat> but when it comes to the 
human traffickers, when it comes to the drug cartels, they own the southern border. The barrier needs to be built. It's one of my biggest complaints about Donald Trump. He had two years of full Republican control of the Congress. He could have very easily, in my view, uh, um, made sure that remittance taxes were filed or levied against anybody that was coming over here and then sending money back to Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, whatever, and taking 5%. I mean, honestly, 5% of the money that was remitted back to their home countries could have been used to build the wall. It would have been built in, in six months, and we would have a much, much more secure border, keeping some of the most dangerous people, including people on the terrorist watch list, out. So that is a uh, that has got to be a priority in a second Trump term if he is to get one. It's got to be a priority for anybody uh, that is uh, concerned about national security. Um, let's go to um, Don in Lakewood. Hey, Don, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. How are hey, you, sir? Good. Good morning, Bob. I tuned in late, but uh, I did catch Peter. And uh, as usual, I always uh, generally agree with Peter wholeheartedly on what he puts forth. Now, I am I am not by any stretch an only Trumper. I think it's pretty much foolish to be one. Uh, I believe also for many reasons that Ron DeSantis would make a far better president than Trump. However, it looks even now that Trump is going to end up as the nominee and this is a huge risk because he's facing, what, 700-plus legal charges? And he chances are he's going to be convicted well, nine, of nine, nine, more. 91 felony uh, charges against him in four different indictments. Yeah, well, that's pretty much... That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's enough. Yeah. So due to, you know, our weaponized legal system, or his weaponized legal system, uh, he's, going to get, he's going to get nailed on something. So, and that's going to give the left a huge amount of, of fresh ammunition to use, and, and the media is going to, by and large, you know, support all of it. So given this, Trump needs to make some very careful decisions. And he might have started because his demeanor of late has been somewhat more measured, if you might say, um, from what I've heard. But down the road, he needs to choose wisely. And he's he can be a pretty good strategist. Uh, he wasn't that great with choosing... <laughs> his cabinet last time, but I think he's learning. So I'm going to go on a limb today, and I'm going to predict something. Today, January 16th, and I'm going to say that he is going to pick Tim Scott as his running mate. Why? One primary reason, the black evangelical vote is very, very powerful, and Trump's going to need all the help he can get. What are your thoughts on that that extreme prediction? Well, um... I don't know if I'd call it that extreme. Tim Scott is a highly qualified senator who I think would do a great job as a vice president. I don't want to become a Democrat. I don't want my nominee to become a Democrat either and choose somebody based on their skin color or based on you know their sex. What what Biden yeah. did limited himself by saying I'm going to choose because that's what Clyburn made him promise to do in order to get Clyburn support and thus the black vote. Um, he said, you know, you, you have to choose a, a black female or a female of color. And so Biden was limited by doing that. I don't believe in diversity hires ever. If Tim Scott is the best guy, select him. If Nikki Haley is the best person, select her. I don't think she is. But but I'm, you understand my point. If Christy Nome is the right person, I don't care if they're women or men or black or white. I want the right person for the job to do the best. And you're 100% right, Don, when you said, and thank you for the call, my friend, 100% right when you said, 
He had a real hard time making good, solid selections at literally every level of the federal government the first time around. He had to replace his whole cabinet uh, in some of the positions two and three times. Uh, going into the uh, Department of Justice and the the Attorney General, and even when it came time, he was correct to fire James Comey, but he handpicked Christopher Wray to run the FBI. The same corrupt Christopher. I mean, you understand my point. <clears throat> He's got to get much much better as a judge of character and as a judge of resume and as a judge of uh, of uh, you know the the qualifications and competency of the people he chooses. Uh, and that does start with the Vice Presidency. He said, by the way, in his uh, Fox uh, interview. Uh, a couple of days ago before Iowa, he did say that he knows who it's going to be. He already has his vice president in mind. He's already picked him out or her out. He just isn't saying yet. So it'll be very interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Joanne is next. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, we got 11 months to talk about the election. Getting back to this DEI stuff. Yeah. I heard this on Newsmax yesterday, and now I just looked it up online. Have you seen this thing about the FAA hiring people with disabilities and the list of disabilities? I did. We don't have time. I'm going to read them real quick. Hearing, total deafness in both ears, vision, blind, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.